Well, hello again. Hi, everyone. Uh, Howie Marlin here. I'm a licensed uh, addictions therapist. I'm a certified interventionist and a recovery coach professional. And among all those things, I also mow my own lawn and try to go to the beach whenever I can. But hey, so much about me. Let's talk about Terry. Hi, guys. Hey, listen, I have an old friend on uh, the show right now, Terry Shapiro. How you doing, my man? Fantastic, Holly. How you doing? You look great. Well, I, I feel great, and I'm, uh, let's just say, uh, good enough for government work right now. Um, up here in New England, summer's moved on, and the leaves are starting to turn color, and um, all the, uh, uh, let's just say that um, up here in New England, we get a chance to change the scenery. What's going on down by you in sunny Florida? Yeah, don't forget to say that the uh, and the Red Sox are in the playoffs. Which Ooh, really dude. dude. Had a great game last night. Great right? game last night. Yeah. But we're, yeah. you know, eyes are rolling already. Everybody is going, who the friend? We don't fucking care. Hey, yeah. so how's life in Florida? What do you do? Why are you there? And thank you very much for being on the show. Okay, we'll see you next time. Bye. Proud <laughs> to be on the show. Proud to. I mean, I, we talked about my buddy, uh, Dr. Jonas, and uh, his involvement. He's a great guy. And he doesn't live all that far from me, and I see him uh, quite often on the avenue uh, in Delray on Atlantic Avenue. Um, I live in I live down here because this is home base for me, Holly. But I my work in uh, in treatment with Constellation Behavioral Health takes me to the Midwest. I cover Florida and the Midwestern states. We call it the Rust Belt. Anything that's got rust on it is my territory. So um, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, Iowa. Yeah, I love my Rust Belt. I'm a behavioral health advisor for Constellation. That's what I do for Constellation. Essentially, uh, a conduit between our programs, our platform of services, and the community, albeit you know professionals like yourself, interventionists like yourself that are looking to place somebody um, in care, not sure where to go. Um, I like to be the first call they make. And talk about what we do at Constellation. If not, if we're not going to be a fit, then um, I've been doing this since 1986. I think I know enough people to, to help you think about some other good options. Well, I appreciate that very much. And you folks should know that in my, in my work over the years, I've met people from very various uh, industries, uh, sub uh, portions of the industry. And Terry and I know each other from uh, AIS, the Association of Intervention Specialists. However, I have not sent people to Terry yet, and the main reason would be, in my world, I've got certain groups and certain familiar territories uh, I'm called on now, for the most part, here in New England, and people, for the most part, want to be um, closer to home. But you represent an organization which has facilities literally across the country. Why don't you give me more of a background on you know, your organization and why, why I will be calling you very soon as far as placement for my folks. I'll give you a quick elevator pitch. So Constellation Behavioral Health was founded by Bill Morrison, who was a guy, a uh, very bright guy, um, program guy. And he and several family members had gone to treatment over the years. And Bill wasn't satisfied with the options that were out there, although his family members went to some really well-known programs. There were some things that he didn't like. So he said, the only way to change it is to get involved and be part of it. So he founded Altamira and Sausalito, which is uh, an absolutely powerful, um, effective treatment facility for addiction and co-occurring disorders. And the main focus 
in all our facilities. Let's get that diagnosis done right. Let's get that differential diagnosis on the front end as early as possible so that we know what we're really working with. Because sometimes you hear that people have been, you know, they've, they've had several treatment episodes and you ask about records and diagnoses and how much work was done and there's very little done. So on the front end, we have uh, psychiatry, psychology and medical um, and, and people that truly understand addiction and mental health doing a very thorough um, deep dive into what's going on. So we know what we're treating. I mean, you can't just bring somebody in and put them in your program and you're what you do. This is what we do. And you're going to fit right in here. It doesn't work that way. If you don't know who and what you're treating, I mean, no other chronic progressive illness is treated that way. So why should addiction and mental health be treated that way? So Altamira in the Bay area. And then when you head South to Beverly Hills, we have two uh, residential psychiatric facilities, which are called Bridges to Recovery. And each each house in Beverly Hills has a capacity for six patients. And again, a very deep dive with depression, anxiety, OCD, um, just, you know, people that are stuck in life that are like really hurting and need a thorough diagnosis, differential diagnosis done in a psychiatric setting where they have no they, they probably have not had substance use disorder. Um, although we do have some that some patients that do show up that have had that and just are in later recovery, but stuck and depressed and anxious. And then we have in uh, San Diego, further south, BrightQuest, which uh, was started in 1979, which is a therapeutic community for complex mental health disorders like schizophrenia, bipolar, drug-induced psychosis is what we're seeing a lot of with this uh, wonderful legalized marijuana or medicinal marijuana. Yeah, so we have a bright quest in Nashville and a bright quest in San Diego. So I think that gives you, that catches you up a bit on what we do and, and who we are, but um, there's some great programs around the country. We have some really, really good programs. And I love, love to say that we're part of that group of good programs. Well, clearly you are. And I think one of the more interesting aspects of talking with folks who represent different treatment facilities. We're getting to a point in our culture now that um, you better be good at what you do or you won't be around much longer. I mean that we in the industry, there was a huge flood of treatment centers 10 or so years ago, and there was a uh, turnstile philosophy. Get them in, get them out, get them in, get them out. Well, things have changed. Add to the fact, on top of the fact that the industry has matured, that we've really grown wise to effective treatment protocol and the best practices. Tell me about the impact that COVID had on the manner in which you dealt with your clients. Now, I've spoken about this before, so you should know that folks who listen to the podcast will probably get familiar with this. And what I'm looking for is an idea of how the treatment facilities that you're associated with deal with the COVID situation. For example, I have a client I want to send to you. How do you go about that process of dealing with COVID in our culture and treatment moving forward? So in, uh, in our facility in Altamira, people are tested prior to coming and prior to being in the population. They're, in a, they're tested before they walk in the door. And then once they're in the facility, they're in a private room in the medical unit um, will be tested again there before they're brought into the population. 
Now, I want to remind yeah. folks that today's testing, I remember the first time I got tested, I had to wait literally a month till the results came back. Well, that, of course, has changed. So, Terry, tell me, what's the average turnaround time for folks getting tested with you? You can get testing. Testing can be done within hours. Now, if you're doing a rapid antigen test, if you're doing a PCR test, it's going to take a little bit longer. But you're right. It was absolutely crazy when I was in there as an executive director in another facility in the heart of COVID, in the middle of COVID. And the, um, what we knew about, remember how we were cleaning off the bottoms of our shoes before coming to the house and taking everything off in the garage? And yeah. we thought you would track it in. And we know so much more about it than we did now. And, you know, I knock wood if I can find any that we have not had um, to shut down any of our facilities as a result of COVID or COVID outbreaks because we've done such a good job throughout. And, you know, some of that's luck, Howie, because if you have staff members that are going home and you expect they're being careful, some of that is just absolute luck. But masking works, um, washing your hands and staying clean works, practicing good hygiene definitely works. And being aware of any signs and symptoms. And if you're not feeling well at all, don't come to work. Stay home. Well, imagine that. Um, yeah, I agree. By the way, let me slip in this little story. Um, <clears throat> about a year ago, I did a couple of interventions pretty much back to back. <clears throat> I had someone from out of the country that I brought into the country and sent them to uh, one of the treatment centers here in New England. And uh, I did with yet another person. And I did an intervention with them. I got them to get treatment, and they went to the same treatment facility. However, COVID had just pretty much happened, and nobody knew what the hell to do. And they got a trailer, and they put a construction trailer on their facility outside of the mainstream and had them quarantined for there. Now, can you imagine, during the stress, during that incredibly stressful time, post-intervention where you've kind of bought into the idea and you kind of like, all right, I'm ready to go. And then you get and you do and you go only to find yourself no treatment, no medical, no nothing. You're sitting there and basically freaking detoxing on your own in a goddamn travel trailer. Well, needless to say, this is left an indelible mark for me. And the clients, they, let's just say that it's an interesting experience because one of them, that left AMA, boom, banged right out. The other mm -hmm. literally just went back to treatment this week. I kid you not. Wow. Wow. I kid you not. It took a whole yeah. fucking year to get him back into treatment, but he did. So we're talking about good-hearted people that really, they bought into it. They want to get healthy. They're ready to go. So as if I understand myself correctly, for the sake of those folks hearing this for the first time, the new COVID co protocol, the new COVID protocol for you is what? They get pre-tested, they're put in their room until the results are back. How do you deal with it? Yeah, I mean, that, that is the way that it should be dealt with. We know a lot more than we did in the beginning, and I'm sorry that you had that experience. Nobody should have, have to go through that. But um, we're fortunate that we have so many top-notch physicians on our team that have uh, connections and are very close with infectious disease doctors that they were able to consult with when we were looking at our protocols because you can't just rely on the CDC, unfortunately. You have to, to really dig in and, and go to the experts. And infectious disease doc doctors are the experts when it comes to this pandemic. And 
Um, they've had some really clear cut instruction about what to do, how to do it, when and, and why. And we've been safe. And, and even when we've had um, any, anything that looked like it might have been a problem, uh, you know, our CEO, Krista Gilbert, has been very sharp and smart about dealing with it and making sure that because of the way our campuses are set up, we have the ability to keep people um, isolated until we know for sure and, and keep them away from the general population. We know now that if you're in a room unmasked with someone um, who's sick for longer than six minutes, um, that increases your chance of infection. So be smart about that. You know, if you have somebody you're not sure about, if they're uh, negative yet, make sure that you're masked and masked if you're in the room with them and not very long if you're in an environment where the air is not flowing clean. Uh, it's funny. There's a YouTube video out there of, uh, look it up, you know, watching a sneeze. And the person sneezes and it's in slower motion. <clears throat> and you can see all the particulates enter into the atmosphere. And you realize, oh, okay, I get it. If I'm going to walk into that, right? Um, yeah, there, there go those flying spikes out in the air. Yeah. Well, Needless to say, folks, and listen, I will tell you that I may get a little political every now and then about the kind of things that we're facing in this country only from the sake of sanity. By the way, I want to broach the subject for the sake of everybody listening to the podcast, probably for one of the first times. The reality of the situation we're in right now is that we are being faced with challenges the likes of which we haven't seen in our lifetime. Certainly those in the, in the greatest generation had an opportunity to uh, you know, to unify themselves against the big foe. Well, that got fucked up this time around, and everything got splintered. So we kind of lost traction with the proper, the right, the healthy, the mature, and the responsible way to, produce, uh, to perform our behaviors. We are in the healthcare field. Those of us who do either the interventions themselves, who are therapists who work in the medical end of it at the ER like I did for so long, or for any other facility, treatment facilities and what have you, so please look at them with the respect of the eyes of those who are trained and understand science matters. Now, for those of you that have political mores in different directions, we can debate that till we're blue in the face. But the one thing I want to remind everyone is addiction doesn't give a fuck. Addiction does not care. Red, blue, green, yellow, right, doesn't matter. So folks like Terry and I are looking at helping you get out of the swamp, the pit, the tar pit, or the piranha pool of your behavior with all your triggers and all your systems help you re-engineer your life, create new systems to replace the old ones, new belief systems, which are healthy, which will produce a healthy atmosphere, a healthier environment, a healthier life. Notice I'm talking about opening your heart, not just one simple thing. Nancy Reagan liked to say, just say no. Well, Nancy's a sweet person. She was a very nice person, but I think fucking moron, if you ask me, because that never, that never worked. So in the reality of life, Terry, with everything that we've been talking about, let me ask you this: You're in the middle, of, you're in Florida, where the you know politics in Florida are a little bit weird. Do you find people are either more apt or less apt to listen to you regarding COVID protocol, or is there anything outstanding which you want to say? I'd rather not talk about it. First of all, you know, just say no didn't work because that's like telling a homeless guy to just get a house, right? Oh. You know, I, I find that, um, you know, science is all over the board and this is something we've never dealt with, as you said. And people in healthcare, in the healthcare space, when it comes to 
this is the policy. This is how we want to protect you. This is the way we're going to protect the others around you. Okay. So we're bringing you into a program where you're going to learn about the importance of um, getting outside of yourself and helping others, you staying safe and coming into an environment where you're going to be with others to keep them, them safe as well is what we're talking about here. This is your first opportunity to help others by keeping them healthy and safe. So I think that people get that. Uh, families get that. It wasn't that way in the beginning of the pandemic. I think there was so much chaos and people didn't understand. There's a Michael Lewis's last book, um, The Premonition, is probably the best thing written about COVID that's out there, about the, uh, the pandemic that's out there. Well, um, my wife is going to freak out um, when I order yet another book from Amazon. Um, I have found myself reading more during this COVID experience than I ever have in my life. And what I gain from it is all the nuances behind the coffee talk. You and I can talk about behavioral issues. We can talk about substance issues. We can talk about how family dynamics impact that. That's all fine and well. And during the subject, uh, during the exploratory process, we may be able to put things together. But if you take the time to understand the constructs behind the thoughts, the rationale behind the philosophies, you gain an insight which allows you to be much like being a winner at a chess game understanding the steps that need to be taken in order to get to the desired results. It may mean going to the left a few steps before you go forward. Yeah. And, you know, Terry, holy crap. How many folks have you worked with who in the uh, return to sobriety or sanity, as I call it, it's not a straight line. I mean, God bless them. There are a few people who have decided one day, yeah, I'm done. And that's the end of it. But for most folks, they got to tip their toes in the water and see if the piranha is still there. Sometimes they get bit. I have a client, unfortunately, who just this past week, after prolonged experience of sobriety, about six months, dipped their feet in the water, found out that the piranha were still there. And police had to go find them at the middle of the night. It was... Uh, I, look, I could, I could uh, speak. We can talk for two hours on that whole subject because... Here's the thing, as I said a few minutes ago, you know, addiction, I still call it addiction. I don't call it substance use disorder. Addiction is a chronic, progressive, often fatal illness. If not managed on a daily basis, um, we know what happens. The symptoms reoccur and people are back, back out there, right? So, um, you know, you don't, the other thing is the, the language and the, the shame and stigma attached to addiction. That's something we have to continue to work on because I don't, I don't ever ask a patient or a family, how many times have you been in treatment? Because if I was diagnosed with addiction in 1984, right? And then I wound up having, not managing my, my disease on a daily basis and having a reoccurrence of the symptoms and needing to be back in more intensive treatment. It's not that I'm in treatment again, and that counts for once you're in treatment, once you're diagnosed with addiction, that's where treatment begins and should go on for the rest of your life. A diabetic, does, we don't count how many, how many times have you been in treatment for your diabetes or a hypertensive? How many times have you been in treatment? How many times have you been hospitalized? We don't ask that. So why should we do the same? Why should we do that for people that have addiction? Doesn't, you know, it's the same type of disease. So we know that um, 
they're teaching more to diabetics and hypertensives now about spirituality, something that we've always known for a long time about the importance of that. So they've borrowed a page from, from our book, but the pages that we borrowed from their book are, are about, you know, chronic disease management. It's not a cute episode. It, it's something that we have to take care of. I know I take care of it every day. I mean, I wake up and I pray and I meditate and I do certain things that are part of my ritual and routine and, you know, the same thing at night. And if I don't do that, my day is going to be different. Oh, it's amazing. So things I could go on and on about that, but I won't. Well, that's okay. You know, like we, we can always do another podcast and talk about the nuances. <laughs> but let me ask you this. Okay, this last year really was hell. Um, my wife is a stroke victim, and so um, she's doing very well, by the way. But the point is, Good I didn't job. want to travel. And so I really, really limited my travel. Um, what are you, how are you feeling as far as getting people on sober transport, putting them on planes, delivering people? How do you go about that? And um, are you running into any trouble? So the vaccine obviously is, uh, has been a huge help. Um, you know, we can go on and on about how, how much the vaccine has helped and people getting the third shot or the booster shot, shot is going to make that even better. But um, haven't had any trouble with, uh, with travel of late. You know, I laugh about how the, uh, people get mad when, you know, I board a plane and instead of standing in that tunnel with a bunch of other people waiting in line to get on the plane, I stand, I stand at the, uh, beginning of the tunnel and I wait for all the people to go all the way down. And I get people behind me in line saying, do you want me to go around you? And I'm like, no, you want to go stand down there in that tunnel for eight minutes and breathe that air. It's not being circulated with everybody, mask or no mask. And I usually get people that are respectful of that and say, oh, I get it. Yeah, good idea. And then slowly go down and wait for the people before me have kind of got into their seat because I know I'm going to sit in that tube with, you know, hopefully safe air for, you know, three, four hours on a flight a lot of the time. But it's, you know, it's cra traveling right now is pretty crazy. I mean, I prefer traveling in car as much as I can. Um, I like the idea of sober transport. I know that the people that do it are, are safe and do a good job. And then you're not dealing with being on an airplane. Or the well, there, there are certainly a lot of good reasons to stay uh, away from putting people at risk. And um, <clears throat> hold on a second. <clears throat> yeah, I didn't hit mute fast enough. Um, it's, it's really good. Cough to, the cough button. Yeah, the cough button, right? Um, so uh, I'm, I'm actually uh, JetBlue AO qualified. One of the many things I've done in the past. Um, so it's funny because when I travel, I always go, go up and I'll buddy up to the gate attendants and we'll talk about things. And I want everybody to think for a minute that if this was so bad on the aircraft, why aren't aircraft people falling dead? They're not falling dead because the filtering system on these aircraft, the HIPAA, the type of HIPAA, yeah, the HEPA filters are great. They are, and uh, they've um, they're all they were easily relatively easily upgraded to uh, do the very most, which is damn near ER quality. And all the flight attendants, you know, you'll find them washing their hands all the time and wearing masks. Um, and you know, when people complain about masks, it's like, you're, you're so full of crap. I mean, that's nonsense. You go to any hospital, you see people wearing masks all day long for what they work with. Do they do? And everything else is just your psychotic delusions. But um, I'll say this: the um, one of the bigger issues that I have. Uh, had confronted directly uh, was an issue with a client who <clears throat> got away from sober transport, went to the bar. 
And at the bar, they downed a half a dozen drinks within a couple of minutes, which made them irascible, which made them difficult, which made them not get on the airplane. What's your philosophy at bars, at terminals? And do you have any suggestions or ideas, as radical as they may be, Terry? Come on, cough it up. Yeah, um, my philosophy about uh, bars and terminals is uh, I don't go to them, number one. Um, number two, I I'm, it never ceases to amaze me. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to go back to pro- what I think about prohibition. But, you know, we as a country, there's still more people that die every year from alcohol-related causes than any other addiction issue that we have. And it's a legal drug, like the other legal drug that we have now in, in many states, which is also causing us absolutely um, an insane amount of problems with people with drug-induced psychosis. It's, uh, it's mind-boggling. So, um, you know... Bottom line is I'm not a fan. I, I feel that anxiety, being anxious, is part of the human condition. And unfortunately, we don't teach that at a young age. And people learn that if you're anxious, you get a drink before you get on the plane and then you drink on the plane or you pop a pill, which is, you know, a benzodiazepine, which is essentially alcohol and pill form because Big Pharma realized that, hey, man, this liquor industry, they make a lot of money selling beer and vodka and tequila and and wine. Why can't we get that stuff in a pill and do the same thing, create a social lubricant in a pill form that won't smell in people's breath and people won't be counting their drinks? You know, you just pop a pill and nobody knows and you take away the anxiety. Um, Yeah, it's uh, not I can spend that. I always tell people that if I play the lottery and I win and I retire, my goal will be to be on Capitol Hill to fight Big Pharma on pulling benzodiazepines off the market for anything except for urgent use in hospitals when people are so anxious that they're pulling out their tubes and there's nothing else that works. Well, damn, I'm going to vote for you, brother. <laughs> but we need, we, need, um, we need people that don't have all ulterior motives in, 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 um, our, uh, in our system I know we have a, a tremendous uphill fight, and um, the reality is, um, you know, there's people who say that, you know, Americans are sheep and all sorts of crap. You can fill in all sorts of stuff like that. But the bottom line is, this is the way it is in America. Uh, alcohol is woven into the fabric of our existence. When COVID uh, basically shut down the entire country, what was the only uh, store that was open all the time? Packies. And, you know, everybody's asking me why. I go, excuse me, thank God they're open. If they shut them down, we would have gone out of our minds. Because look at the spike in um, uh, abuse, in, in hostility, in, in OUIs, in, in day drinking. Look at the unbelievable use of, uh, of all sorts of substances since, you know, we were forced to self-isolate. Oh, my God. Which leads me to this. You were, you've brought up the subject of this drug-induced psychosis. Man, prior to the legalization of marijuana, how many times did you run into people who had psychotic breaks from smoking too much pot? I'll tell you, for me, one. Just one time. My Very rare. Very rare. Yeah, Yeah, I had a family member in Colombia as well, and he never came back. He never came back from it. His life was turned for the worse forever. 
he's never come back from that. At 13, smoked himself into oblivion and then ended up horrifically mentally ill. And yeah, there, but for the grace of God, go I. It would have been the same, you know, genetics, who knows what would have caused that switch to flip. And why would we want to play that roulette game? Well, why we do. Because- why? Why? Because we're ignorant. Why? Because we don't know. Why? Because it's socially acceptable. Why? Because I can, I here in Massachusetts, I can have up to like, what? what is it, 20 plants? What is like, excuse me, have you gotten the seeds lately? How many plants do you need? I mean, you know. Really, I ran into somebody who came up to me. He hands me this big jar full of pot. I go, what am I going to do with it? He goes, I don't know what to do. I got so much. I don't know what to do with it. I, I, I'm looking at him and go, brother, I got to tell you, you know, I got no problem with adults getting high, you know, getting, smoking a little pot every now and then. That's me. I grew up in the 60s in the Jersey Shore. I'm an Asbury Park guy, you know, bred, uh, born and bred. And I went through all my shit and overcame it. But I'm going to tell you this. When the huge scheme of life on the planet as far as I'm concerned, and everybody can take issue with this, and I really don't care. As far as I'm concerned, if you live your life in a healthy way and nothing you're doing is causing any stress and you're enjoying things and people love you and you're loving life and your wife and your health and your wealth and your work and your kids and everything's good and you want to have a beer or two, knock yourself out. If you want to have a, have a toke or two, who's it going to kill? Opiates, we got a problem there. Benzos, we got to talk. Other sort of psychoactive stuff is a huge discussion because here we're talking about Colorado normalizing mushrooms. And it's what like we have to what we what we have to do. What, what's super important, I think, is we have to start looking at, you know, asking the question, no matter who you are. The question is, why do I have to alter my mood or mind in any way? Right. Why can't I be happy and comfortable in my own skin? I had a mom that called me the other day and uh, she was calling about her son. And this kid has been, he was in a psych hospital when she called the other day and we're having this conversation and I'm trying to follow her line of storytelling as she's trying to talk me into what, you know, her son needs. And I said, can I ask you a question? Do your son's father or you, do either one of you use Xanax, Clodopin, Ativan, Valium um, or smoke weed? And she said, um, yeah, I mean, I, I smoke weed. Um, I have a, I have a card, I have a medical card and his father smokes weed to help him sleep at night. And I do have a prescription for Xanax, albeit I don't use it all that often, but I do. And I, she said, why do you ask me that? And I said, because number one, you're slurring your words while you're talking to me. And I'm having a really hard time tracking with you because you're going back and forth and all over the place. And then your short-term memory sounds like you're having a hard time remembering things that have happened in the recent past. So she's like, yeah, maybe I need to take a look at myself. So maybe I planted a little bit of a seed that are not the kind we talked about a minute ago, but um, it's a societal thing. And, and I know I'm never going to win the battle by myself, but if I can just be, you know, that one stone that, you know, skips several times in the water, and, and cause as many ripples, maybe I can help some people. And that's basically why I feel I've been put on this planet and given a second life in this lifetime. Terry, you're a good man. Your mission is pure, your pure heart. And I think the philosophy behind what you're doing uh, is a resounding you go dog. Um, I look at life this way. Um, I had my head up my ass most of my life. I was a nice enough kid and I made plenty of friends, but 
you know, I wasn't paying attention. I overused and overdid every drug that there was. And I wasn't afraid of needles and stupidity. And I found myself in some horrendous um, positions. Uh, but my point is, I have an interesting philosophy. When I started to um, start to be okay with life, when I started to be okay in my skin, when I started to put it all behind me, I, it inspired more healthy activity. And a little success begets more success. And having one person that I helped turn and then become a sobriety coach, I realized, my God, that's what my mission in life is, to help inspire others to get to boots on the street, to counter this incredible, you know, the, 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 the scale is tipped so bad against us. We need more soldiers, sober soldiers, I call them. Right. People who are speaking with sanity, not simply sobriety. Because, you know, different descriptions of sobriety can match different philosophies. But if I just ask people to think in terms of being sane, being sane, being paying attention to delusion and understanding what delusion is, a false reality, not making shit up and then doubling down on it, but looking at what really exists, looking behind you and testing the hypothesis. If what you've done does pan out as scientifically significant, well, okay, let's pay attention to it. If it's because of something you read on Facebook, fuck! <laughs> so. I should have wore my uh, I should have wore my Soba Soldier shirt today. That would have been Ooh. a good shirt to wear for this. Ooh, I like it. Soba yeah. so, Soldier. I'll, I'll forget to one of those. Soba oh. Soba. It's good for your part of the world. It's Soba Soldiers. Yeah. Soba. Yeah. I'm gonna drive in my cat, and I'll be Soba in my cat. But we don't got new cats. No chips in the cast. I got no cats. <laughs> hey, listen, Terry. Thank you very much. This is. Truly been inspiring. Do you have any shout outs? Anybody you want to just drop their names to earn credit on the street? What do you got? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of people. I go through the list. Uh, you being one of them, Howie Marlin. So I, I appreciate you and all the great work that you do. And Dude, you got 10 seconds. Skip over me. Yeah, skip over you. Okay. Uh, Dr. Michael Weiner, who's a psychologist here in, in Florida and in his 70s and has been one of those guys that... Uh, is really big on what we need to do to reduce the stigma and shame of, of addiction. So great guy. Um, you know, our buddy, Jeff J who I always love to shout out and love first and the great work that they do. And, um, you know, all of our people at AIS, and Debbie. I love, yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Holly. I appreciate the time and this was fun. And, um, thanks for everything that you do. Well, you're very welcome. And, and, and to stick around as I wrap up the show, we'll talk for a moment afterwards. So, folks, here we, what we have is one individual who's been in it for a while, represents a bunch of different treatment centers. And as you can imagine, because he's got gray hair like me, this ain't his first rodeo. <laughs> what I'm hoping that you all do is stir the pot, make a stink, get out there, ruffle people's feathers, break the mold, get and do something different, but do something that works. Follow your fucking heart. Get your ass out of your head, go to your heart, and follow what works. I know we've got some old systems to fix. But the only way we'll get in there and fix them is that we motivate people to change. I'd say if I've got a superpower, it's helping people get motivated to change because the change comes from within them. I remind people that I'm the laziest bastard on the planet. I don't do anything. I sit here and listen to you. And then I tell you what you tell me through the lens of my experience. And if you don't like what I say, you got to pay attention to what's going on. So the, with the parting shot for today is 
Terry, thank you so much. I truly appreciate this. And I really look forward to the next time because I've only done about a half a dozen of these so far for these guys. Let's see how things turn out. Um, I hope that the AIS conference gets legs again. This time it was canceled because thank of COVID and we'll meet again there soon. But if not, when next time I'm down in Florida, you better believe you'll get a big heads up and we'll be able to get lunch or dinner and do something like that. So stick around. Hey, everybody right. else. Thank you. Alan. On behalf of Terry Shapiro, on behalf of uh, Dr. Dave, Dr. Phil, Dr. Leslie, Dr. Lou, and who, whatever doctor you want to thank, um, Howie, Marlin, and um, on behalf of Soper Network, y'all be good out there. And remember, uh, you're not paranoid. They are out to get you. That's a joke. Bye. <laughs>